Good morning, everybody, and, and thanks for having me. Um, my name is Sebastian Briggs-Williams. I'm the co-director of BASIC, uh, a think tank in London that promotes meaningful dialogue to build international trust, reduce nuclear risks, and advance disarmament. My central argument today is that whereas the international community has traditionally favored the pursuit of legally binding arms control measures to regulate weapons and prescriptive rules to regulate domains, such as the law of the sea, Today, we're seeing a serious interest in alternative approaches that aim to establish non-binding norms or standards of acceptable behavior. Specifically, we're seeing the language of responsibility, responsible behavior or responsibilities, uh, which are all forms of what Marianne Gledon called responsibility talk, appear as a common thread in parallel diplomatic discussions about arms control and the secure and sustainable use of the global commons. For this reason, I would theorize that what we're seeing is a shift currently to a responsibilities-based approach to the regulation, control, and ultimately governance of strategic weapons technologies and domains. And I'd situate this as one specific kind of principles-based approach to regulation, which can be contra contrasted to a rules-based approach. So as Julia Black defines it, writing in the context of financial sector regulation, in general terms, principle-based approach means moving away from reliance on detailed prescriptive rules and relying more on high level, broadly stated rules or principles to set the standards. So for my 10 minutes or so today, uh, I'm gonna to talk to you about where we're seeing these shifts in the realm of international security, why we might be seeing them and what they might mean for the future. To start, to start with, with where, there are three, three weapons technologies and associated domains where responsibility talk has become an important feature, cyberspace, space and nuclear weapons. Over the past 10 years, we've seen the development of a diplomatic conversation about responsible behaviors in cyberspace, quote unquote, uh, with the language being particularly picked up by the 2015 group of governmental experts. That year, same year, all 193 UN member states agreed on a framework for responsible behavior of states in cyberspace. Over the past year, we've seen an equivalent conversation on responsible behaviors emerge in relation to outer space. This began when the United, Nation, uh, United Kingdom even tabled a resolution entitled uh, Reducing Space Threats Through Norms, Rules and Principles of Responsible Behaviors at the UN General Assembly First Committee, which was formally adopted with 164 votes in favor, 12 against and six abstentions. In both cases, it's worth pointing out that this approach has been opted for at the expense of pursuing a stricter legally binding approach instead. Over the past five years or so, um, BASIC, my organization, and the ICCS, um, the Institute for Conflict Cooperation and Security at the University of Birmingham, have been working with a range of states, including the United Kingdom, on the subject of responsibilities in relation to nuclear weapons, which we call nuclear responsibilities for short. So with more time, I'd, I'd say a bit more about sort of how each of these conversations have emerged. Um, but since I've, I'm kind of a bit limited of time, uh, I'm just gonna focus on nuclear weapons before saying a bit about why I think a responsibilities-based approach has emerged. So I've been working on the idea of responsibility in relation to nuclear weapons since 2016 as director of the program on nuclear responsibilities. Um, the purpose of the program is to stimulate and support a global conversation about responsibilities in relation to nuclear weapons. And our contention is that just as it seems to have helped unlock diplomatic discussions on cyberspace and more recently on space, a responsibilities-based approach could open up room for a new kind of dialogue that could reverse the mutually destructive culture of blame that we currently see in the nuclear weapons debate. We call this way of thinking, talking and writing about nuclear weapons, the nuclear responsibilities approach for short. And it's both a mindset and a model of for dialogue. Our results so far have suggested that it creates opportunities to reduce distrust and nuclear risks 
and so paved the way for nuclear disarmament. And we've tested the nuclear responsibilities approach with a wide range of countries in the past four years at national roundtables and also international multi-stakeholder dialogues to make it as robust as we can make it. Again, in the interest of time, I'd be happy to say a bit more about this in the Q&A if you'd like to hear about it. We're primarily working with states, um, but we're also open to engage with any actors who have the capacity to affect nuclear futures, including international organizations, alliances, and non-governmental organizations. And currently we're exploring the nuclear responsibilities approach at the regional level in conversations on nuclear responsibilities in the Asia Pacific with a view to framing dialogue between India, Pakistan and others. But we're also looking at ways that we can initiate a more inclusive dialogue on nuclear responsibilities at the multilateral level, echoing in a way the, the kinds of conversations we're seeing on cyber and space. We'll be publishing on the nuclear responsibilities approach in a new practical toolkit in June or July. Um, so I invite you all to look out for that. We're not the first to invoke nuclear, uh, sorry, responsibility talk in relation to nuclear weapons. Um, as Professor Wheeler and I detail in our 2020 report, Nuclear Responsibilities, a new approach for thinking and talking about nuclear weapons, the language of special responsibilities, primary responsibilities and shared responsibilities has existed in diplomatic discussions around nuclear weapons since the 1960s. And since the turn of the millennium, the idea of a responsible nuclear weapons state um, or responsible nuclear sovereignty has also emerged. So our work in the program has therefore sought to build on these foundations and the work of others, among them William Walker, uh, Scott Sagan, John Gower, Amelia Morgan and Heather Williams, and Nina Tannenwald, to translate academic thinking on responsibility talk in relation to nuclear weapons into something more practical. At the moment, uh, the responsibilities-based approach in relation to nuclear weapons is not as established as that in relation to cyberspace or space. Uh, yet we're seeing it pop up more and more. And the feedback that we're getting from states is this is the kind of shift that the nuclear weapons conversation needs. So I think we'll see it gather momentum. I'd like to spend my last few minutes considering why we might be seeing a responsibilities-based approach popping up in the cases of cyberspace, space, and nuclear weapons. And I'd suggest that there are both push and pull factors at play. The main push factor I'd suggest is the challenge of and loss of confidence in agreeing legally binding arms control measures of which there are a few aspects to consider. In the case of nuclear weapons, the arms control agreements of the Cold War have fallen away one by one as either Russia or the United States have left them. Yet even these were immensely challenging to agree and evidently to sustain. In today's world, things are far more complex with more peer, ad peer adversary actors and more technologies as Marina's talk uh, amply demonstrated. Um, while it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try, it is unclear in the nuclear sphere what could be controlled next or even which actors will even be involved in such an agreement. The Trump administration sought to no avail to bring China into the next round of arms control. Russia and China have both, not unreasonably, asked in response, why not the UK and France, and by extension, India and Pakistan. It's not it's that not we that may never achieve, achieve such an ambitious, ambitious multilateral, multilateral and asymmetric, asymmetric um, nuclear arms control agreement. It's a question of whether we have time in light of today's growing risks. The same is true in the case of cyber and space weapons, which have even more players in the game. Thus the agreement of even a limited set of core political responsibilities or standards of responsible state behavior might serve as a crucial stopgap measure. Other challenges for legally binding measures in the case of cyber and space are the difficulties of attributing attacks uh, and verifying compliance. And again, I can say a bit more about this if you'd like to hear. Now to say a few words on the pull factors. First, one of the common features of a responsibilities-based approach seems to be that the processes through which they develop are more inclusive, pluralistic, and open-ended. 
They take a less traditional approach insofar as rather than a state designing a specific proposal in capital and then lobbying others to agree with it, they instead get all of the parties together from the start and ask them broad questions about what direction regulation should go in. Because responsibilities are inherently socially constructed, a responsibilities-based approach allows for a plurality of views to be shared, meaning all parties feel heard and their perspectives are taken into account better as frameworks are co-developed. From a process perspective, it seems like an improvement. Second, as with principles-based regulation more generally, the outcomes of any agreement seem likely to be more future-proofed because they rely less on prescriptive rules written down at a point in time and which risk obsolescence as technologies and technology producers evolve. By contrast, agreeing to a set of higher level responsibilities that are more technologically and temporally agnostic is likely to be more resilient because it puts the focus on the actor using the technology rather than one technology or another. Third, although non-binding approaches have been around much longer, I wonder whether part of the reason for the emergence of responsibilities-based approaches is that they are more evocative and therefore more likely to be complied with. Soft law, norms and guiding principles have been used for decades, but they imply to me voluntary standards. By contrast, even as they are socially constructed, responsibilities feel deeper and more eternal, and as though they are the standards that exist and should be followed even in the absence of law. We must pay attention to the impact of language on our emotions in international politics. And finally, I note that there's been a wider move towards responsibilities-based approaches that goes beyond the field of international security. In the climate change regime, for instance, um, the principle that states have common but differentiated responsibilities and respective capabilities to address global heating has run through the agreements of the past 30 years. Under the auspices of the United Nations, the Global Compact formed in 2000 pushed for a principles-based approach to global business in relation to human rights, labor, the environment, and anti-corruption. And of course, what I've just discussed sits within a broader set of conversations about the ethical or responsible uses of technology, much of which emanates from the private sector. It's a language that they understand too, which is helpful for, for public-private multi-stakeholder regulation. So the thought I'd like to leave you wondering is this, is a responsibilities-based approach one whose time has come in the 21st century? Are things getting so complicated today that what we need are simple principles framed evocatively as responsibilities that we can follow in various domains? And if these conversations continue to emerge in a bottom-up way, are there perhaps some general meta-responsibilities that we can eventually draw out as a world? Or is a responsibilities-based approach a cop-out of negotiations to agree stricter measures? To me, Responsibilities-based approaches might at the very least serve as a stopgap measure that stand in the way of total pandemonium while rules-based approaches are under negotiation. They might also serve as the precursors to those rules, helping crystallize and solidify principles and norms, paving the way for hard law to follow. This might even become standard procedure for states in the future as they look at new weapons, technologies or domains. Or hard law may never eventuate in which case at least the responsibilities of based approach will be there. Of course, it would be good for the peace community to take an active part in these discussions, to develop understandings of responsible behavior in relation to nuclear weapons and a range of other weapons and domains as they emerge. With that, I will conclude. Um, it's been a pleasure to speak to you and I look forward to our Q&A where I'll be delighted to answer any of your questions. Um, and you can also email me at sbrixiewilliams at basicint.org should you wish to discuss anything further in the meantime. Thank you for listening.